All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Be a Beacon podcast. Let's hear, as always, I hope y'all are doing all right. We're still in this pandemic. Maybe one of these episodes one day will not be in the middle of this pandemic. Tonight, I'm so glad that I have the yes, not the jack, but the yes of all trades. Yes, Segura. He is going to let you know more about what he's up to, what he's been up to, you know, what's been going down during COVID for him and just, just life. I mean, a lot of us are just juggling a lot and I watch him do it so well, or at least to the eye, he does it so well. Man, how's it going? Hey, uh, crowd goes well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one, thank you so much for letting me be part of this uh, amazing thing that you do in your life, uh, a beacon of joy you are. Uh, my name is Yes Segura, use he, him, and uh, from time to time they, them pronouns. I'm a first generation El Salvadorian American and openly transgender man. Um, used to identify as lesbian and now I identify as transgender man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Just lit up my candle here. Got my sparkling water as you do in Seattle, Washington. Um, it's, it's like a well-known thing. Like you always bring sparkling water to any event or anything in your life that you're doing in the city. Yeah. All right. And I know you were, um, you're originally, you're from Richmond and you, I mean, you traveled around, um, and then you're now you're in Seattle. Yeah, so wow, that it has been one journey. I tell you that I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. My parents came to America in the late 60s. Um, uh, They had opportunities that were presented to them. Excuse me. And that um, my mom was a maid for an affluent white Jewish family where uh, they were located in, in Jersey, and all of their kids went to Cornell, and my dad, I, I'm still figuring out what my dad did when he came to America. His stories are, <laughs> his stories are always, um, he, he's, he's not shy. His English isn't that great, though, so I think that's um, what it is. Um, yeah, so they met in a, in a party in, in, in New York. And from there, they headed off and um, had some of my sisters up in, in Jersey and New York, and then me and my little sister in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I came out of the closet, and I, I was trying to plan to come out of the closet as lesbian. And um, like after I graduated from college, uh, but I guess we can talk about that a little bit later, my coming out story. We can, no, we, we can talk about that right now, because like yeah. I said, we've had conversations off the, off the microphone and it was just so interesting because at one point you were, you were at Hampton for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then another, another interesting fact about, yes, y'all, he did the, I don't know if y'all remember seeing the, like the rainbow RVA stickers around that was him. I was amazed when I heard that. So I was like, shit, I saw those everywhere. And that was you. So, you know, and you created that. So that that's amazing. Are they still available for people that want them? They sure are. I actually, so, um, so when I came out of the closet, my mom and dad said, "Uh, I never want to see you. And I never want to speak to you again. Um, so from there I was homeless and I was going to Virginia Commonwealth University. I, uh, for my undergrad in urban studies and geography, I also started a student organization called Urban Studies Student Association. Um, and then I also started a, uh, nonprofit or well, helped to start a nonprofit called Girls Rock Camp, Richmond, Virginia. And then, um, while I was a student there at VCU, I got this grand old idea while I was in my urban studies classes to create a neighborhood. 
And within wow. the neighborhood, the visibility of how it would be created was with these RVA stickers. And at the time, um, uh, RVA was rebranding themselves. And so I thought it'd be a grand idea to put a rainbow into the RVA. And um, I had a, I looked up like a local lesbian owned business. And uh, most recently they called me because they were like, hey, we still have money to recreate some stickers for you. And I was just like, don't worry about it um, because they ended up closing uh, or closing their business. Um, but essentially what has happened now is that the tourism industry in, in Richmond, Virginia, along with, I believe, a, a gay and lesbian um, uh, center has now taken it upon themselves to, which they asked me for permission, if they could uh, use that rainbow RVA sticker for any type of promotional uh, things that they were doing. And I said, yeah, go for it. So it's it's funny to see, still see it. The idea is that, you know, create the neighborhood, but also that money was going to raise um, uh, plaques to give honor to, um, to landmarks and, and, and people that were part of the LGBTQ community and, have, and need to be honored. Um, I unfortunately left that endeavor. It's, it's one of the many things that I was, I was still, I'm still proud of that I was able to, to create those rainbow RVA stickers, but you know, things happen. You gotta brush off your shoulders and keep going. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. You gotta, you just gotta keep it moving. You, sometimes you just can't look back. I mean, you just gotta just keep going. Sometimes I see people, they get frozen in time because they keep trying to look back and, you know, behind wasn't no good for them. Yeah, yeah. So you already, so after all of this happened and we can get to your family dynamic in a moment, but after this happened, you, I know you, you packed up your stuff. You just packed up your car and you went to Florida for a while. So, um, so before I went to VCU, I actually went to John Tyler Community College. Mm. Uh, mind you, my grades were not that great in high school. And I, I find it because I was only focusing myself in soccer and also in like having ADHD and, and right. depression and wasn't even diagnosed for depression because I was in the closet and I was just always lying about myself. Right. And when I came out of the closet, when my mom came into my bedroom and uh, uh, the girl I was dating at the time was one of the Gay Straight Alliance presidents. At <laughs> and we were cuddling on my bed, um, watching gay porn <laughs> on, on the computer because I was just fascinated with it and um hey and that's perfect cuddle time what I mean, I mean that's perfect cuddle time. And so my mom came in and she said you two young ladies sit properly and I always knew and once that happened I had my first panic attack I remember calling into work I was working at Target at the time uh, in Midlothian Virginia and I was just like whoa 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 I can't do this um but we made, we kind of like did a thing where it was a don't ask, don't tell policy in the household. And, um, and then uh, like, I wasn't able to speak about it because they were always just like, hush me up, right? Really quick. And I ended up saying, okay, well, I'm just going to go and get my master's in architecture. And um, the closest one to do that, you know, especially with my grades uh, was at HBCU. Uh, Hampton University. And, All right. <laughs> and I had an experience. I had my black experience there. I mean, I had my black experience while I was right. In right. Um, uh, so I did that, and then I realized, you know what, architecture. You only. It's only focusing on the physical structure, and I'm more wanting to build community and, and do social uh, building. So that's when my friend told me, hey. I'll help you write the essay to get into VCU, you know, write it up and I'll, I'll help edit, um, uh, uh, come to VCU. And I said, okay, so I ended up going back to VCU. And, um, and then after that, I decided, you know what, let me get my master's in urban and regional planning. Um, and I uh, had the opportunity of working on 
um, doing LGBTQ research, right? Because that was what I was, was driven to. It was from an urban studies class and uh, doing a finance class and the, and the professor said, um, choose whatever topic you want to understand of how the government finances it. And I said, okay, well, what about gayborhoods, right? That Ray Bill RVA sticker. And then um, what about gay prides? And what about our community? And so I picked up a book and it said, uh, Dr. Petra L. Dome, and it's called Querying Planning. Uh, she has written a second book since then. And uh, she happened to be a professor at Florida State University. And I went to go study that topic over there and realized, she told me, she's like, you're not gonna make any money when, um, when you, by labeling yourself as an LGBTQ planner, right? Or what would be called equity in a way. Mm. Um, what year was this? Wow, this was, I went to grad school in, from 2014 to 2015. So oh, two okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's interesting you bring that up because it's so many of us throughout the LGBTQIA plus community that are in planning, you know, that are planning. It's cool on social media. Everyone now has like these gayborhood um, synopsises and stuff. So what would you say, not to cut across you, but as far mm -hmm. as, you know, us in the community being involved and how has, how have you felt like your placement, as, especially now as a trans man, how, how, how has that influenced your like planning in neighborhoods? Because especially in the industry, um, that, that Chris and I just had talked with someone about this as well, like it, throughout the industry, it's still mainly especially community wise it's mainly gay like cis gay white males that are still in like leadership uh, in throughout planning I mean yeah we have you know it's changing as far as you know people of color in a way but there is still you know that that gap so how do you feel like of course you had that that person to tell you that back then how do you feel about what she told you then and then how how what your place is in the planning industry now is you know as a as a brown trans man i try to be as brown as i can be right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you can only and i mean by melanin with the sun coming out um in seattle there's not much sun during the fall winter uh but to answer your question the only thing that i regret doing is erasing my coming out story mm. as a trans man on youtube she told me to take that down because people will be able to see it and then that will influence their hiring decisions. And what I found out is that I applied for 160 jobs. I have a Google Drive document where it documented all the jobs I applied for. So when it comes to the hiring perspective, it was rough. I mean, wow. I, I'm already out on social media in my little bio profiles for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, if you look me up on Google, you'll see my top surgery, um, GoFundMe, because you know, I'm part of the transgender community, uh, GoFundMe, I mean, that's just yeah. like, it, it's such a basic thing that you know you're going to come into contact with because sure. you do need money. And um, Going back to what you said that you're, you saw the traits of within our community being the LGBTQ community or plus, right? Right, LGBTQ right. plus, that this trend of white cisgendered gay men has been put at the forefront with marketing. Um, and then even when it comes to power in government, making government decisions or organization decisions. And that's just part of white supremacy right there. Right. Right. Um, so I think now that we've had this Black Lives Matter revolutionary movement at hand, this is uh, our, the, the revolution that we've been wanting, right? Um, that we now have the opportunity that you're seeing, uh, especially in Seattle, 
which is predominantly white. Yeah, how's that working out? Because I hear so many stories from black and brown people throughout the Pacific Northwest, like, oh my God, I get stared at, oh my God, this is happening. How have your intersection, how has that, how's that worked for you or how, how, how have your child, how have you overcame any challenges? How is it going for you living as an out Latinx trans male in the Pacific Northwest? And you're so vocal, like y'all, we're gonna, you're, you'll see Yes's information. You'll be able to reach out to him and um, it'll be in the show notes, but you know, he is a huge advocate for Black Lives Matter. He recognizes that because, and we'll get to this in a moment, because there's still a divide with the Black and Latinx communities. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it is so great that you, you know, that you do acknowledge the importance. Like, hey, we are in this together. For sure. Black and, Lives Matter. And some well, some don't realize it. I mean, I, I've seen it. I, I've, I've known, you know, many conservative uh, brown people. And so it, you know, it, it happens, you know, it, it's, you know, a little, you know, I, you know, I won't go into all that here unless you want to go into it, but I have seen that um, a lot and I've worked with people, you know, like that. Yeah. Well, that's a big question. Uh, racism within the Latinx community, racism within the LGBTQ community itself. For sure, for sure. Uh, it's so weird. It's like, so we're already breaking the traditional norm and with that comes the evolution of society. What does that mean? That means racism doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yet it's still prevalent. And that's because we've been like socially conditioned yeah. uh, to do things and, and have microaggressions, which I'm still working on um, uh, and, and training myself not to, not to do things. Um, it, it's weird because I was, I was um, uh, androgynous before, right? Before taking testosterone. Okay. I've been on testosterone for five years now. And uh, I have a lot of the changes that are typical with taking testosterone. Um, and I would notice things where, uh, where people would walk on the other side of the sidewalk when I was in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. And, and I think it wasn't until I took a gender and planning class that I was really, it really brought to the attention that I'm going to have male privilege. Right. And, and um, knowing that when I speak up, that my voice is gonna be more heard than somebody that presents as female. Right. So I'm that that's some of the the things that I take into my work. Um, and uh, also knowing that the work that I do as a consultant with Smash the Box, which is my business, is that it also aligns with um, with the goals of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals uh, to know that I'm making the most impact I can that's going to make a positive impact in this world. And um, going back to the racism, my, I mean, it's even within my family. I remember growing up and my mom saying that uh, she didn't want my older sister dating a black man and that every time when we would drive um, to the mall or whatever it is, and she saw a black person um, walking on the side of the street, she would say, lock the door and put the window up. And I would just always retaliate and say, no, you can't judge somebody by what they're wearing. You can't do that. Um, and it's still, there's still racism in my family where my older sister is saying black, uh, all lives matter. Right. Uh, I saw that on your, on your post one day. Oh, it's like, wait, do I want to go into this with my family? Will they listen if I right. do it? And that was one of the reasons why I was very vocal or at least transparent with listing that my dad said, and I put this on social media for a purpose, that my dad said that all Black people are lazy, they depend on the government, and they don't have jobs. Wow. Now, where do you think this came from, like, with your family, considering that they are, they're also, you know, they're people of color, a lot of discrimination there. I mean, where do you think this came from? From my guess, right, because I haven't talked to them, and I would want to understand 
which that's unpackaging a lot of lot of history. I mean, I've heard the racist stories from them. They've told me the racism that, or I've seen the racism with them when it's happening to them, right? In America, you speak English. Um, right. Things, things like that. Um, and I think also because they've always just wanted to be normal, like normal right. being like that American status quo, where you came into America to live the American dream and achieve it. For them, that's a house, cars, and a family, right? That, that, for me, that is. But I think it's also racism that, um, that has come from El Salvador itself. Right. In, in Latino countries, uh, uh, I mean, even watching the uh, Netflix, show about Celia Cruz? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Celia. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. And then hearing the racism that she had to go through and just seeing it like, whoa, she had a, there were, there's segregation on their trains, on their um, buses over there. It's like, wow, that is. Yeah. And, and this, this is where I, I think I'm going to start saying we have 400 years of listening to do. <laughs> There's a lot of listening to do when it comes to the Black community. And because I grew up in a Black community and just, uh, I remember not doing my third grade Black history project and always feeling bad for that. And I think that's just me. <laughs> it's just like followed me since then of, hey, this is actually really important. And um we, because of redlining, because of racism within uh, historic national policies that have led to segregation in neighborhoods till this day, it might not be that we have redlining anymore, but you're going to see in rural communities, there's probably going to be a high population of white people and white people that are conservative. And the communications that they deal with is what are they listening to every single day, right? They don't interact with community all the time, um, unless they own a business or something like that. But they tend to have very conservative views, um, being that they're only listening to the radio, being oh, that for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The rhetoric that's talked about there. And then also, so they're spending a lot of time in their cars and their trucks. Um, and then also when you get home, well, you're going to probably be listening to Fox News or something that's very conservative that aligns with that, that radio show. Um, and this is where I'm just like, okay, well, they just moved to Powhatan, Virginia, which is very rural. Yeah. And it has Trump signs all over, all over. Their neighborhood has is like, I forgot, like whisking willow, willow, and then it says plantation underneath it. And I almost grabbed um, some black uh, spray paint to spray it over, but my dad recently had a heart attack and I'm not trying to give my family uh, any heart attacks because they, <laughs> they would know that'd be me. <laughs> So how has it been? Because I remember seeing the post, especially while you're on break, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's taking a break, but it seems like he's dealing with it, all of this. So how has it been? I mean, of course, dealing with your family, especially during this very heated election season, you know, being who you are and then your family, because it still seems like you have, a, of course, a lot of love for your family. You still visit them and, you know, but so how has really all of this been for you emotionally? And then, and then considering everything else professionally and just all these things that you've been going through. I mean, how has, you know, your family interaction impacted you? Well, this is probably the question that I've been waiting the most for. <laughs> and it's because I've done so much emotionally, emotional growth from being homeless, from not talking to my family for a whole year, from me going into debt, having my car um, uh, repossessed, almost being evicted, going, I mean, I've, 
I've lived a crazy life, but I'm still true to myself. And that's the thing that I believe in myself. And because I believe in myself, I know that I can, I can do whatever my mind, um, whatever I have in my mind, right? Right. It's an incredible drive when you start believing in yourself. And when my mom and dad told me, you know, I never want to see or speak to you again, that right there, that broke my trust with them. Our trust is no longer there, but our love is still there. And um, knowing that I'm going into a household where we're living in a pandemic, where a Black Lives Matter uh, movement is happening and being conscious of their health too, right? Because I'm entering right. their house. I want to be respectful. Right. <clears throat> so I'm not, I, I didn't do anything to, to do anything that would increase their blood pressure or give them a heart attack. <laughs> but because I'm on social media a lot and I've always been on social media, I do communications for, uh, with one of my services for Smash the Box. I, I thought, okay, I need to use this tool because um, their friends are, are also my friends. And once they see that they are supporting Trump, once they see that they're saying these racist things, I know my parents aren't gonna listen to me. They're gonna listen to their friends though. So that was a strategic move that I did. And it was one way to like, be like, okay, I know I have people listening to me. That's good. That's great. I also had the opportunity to talk to my, um, to two of my best friends, uh, Jeanette and Jeff. They both live in Virginia. One's a, a school teacher, a music teacher. And then Jeff, he works within like the political advocating people to vote world in environmental science. So that, that was good to have. And then also hanging out with one of my Latinx uh, queer friends, uh, Reina, uh, and being able to hang out with her and just being like, okay, this is, I know I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing good, but this is a lot to emotionally unpackage. And, I, and what ended up happening is that within the conversations, yeah, you know, on Facebook, um, they, my, my family was trying to antagonize me and because I've had professional training of like sit, standing back and saying, okay, I will not let, I will let some people uh, cross, uh, come into my yard, but I won't let them into my house. I will let right. some people into my house, but I won't let them into the living room. I will let some people into the living room, but not into my bedroom. So just mentally, visually thinking, um, how do I uh, um, decompartmentalize this in order for me to stay mentally healthy and not go off on them, right? And that was, it's, it's helped me a lot in other past situations, but when I came home, I'm not gonna lie, I was drinking like a fish. And I've noticed that about me is that I'm open about that right there like it is it's part of alcoholism um and it's i've talked about it to people just to, to let them know that there are periods in my life where i'm just like i do not want to talk to anybody i will go off of social media please check in on me just to be like hey you know <laughs> right like i'm not suicidal or anything it's just my way processing it and saying, okay, I need something to make the pain go away. And, um, and I use it as, as that tool, but I'm working on ways of trying to figure out um, how do I, how can I process this, but in a healthier way. And now because I have contracts, I'm able <laughs> to buy things and go places and guess what guess who's not drinking as much right so it was when you got these contracts 
Um, and, and we'll definitely get more on that because I mean, I think that Smash the Box is just an amazing concept and it's a, a, amazing work you're doing through that. So it was once you kind of economically things got better that you weren't drinking as much. Yeah, I mean, that's been the whole problem from the get-go. Hey, I can't pay money to, to right. live in a house. Right. That messes with your head a Oh, lot. for sure. Oh, for sure. I don't know how homeless people do it. I have no clue. Right. I, I, I give it to them. I mean, we've, I mean, you've been there. Um, I mean, my gosh, I've, I've came so close. Um, I've came so close in my life. And so I give it to y'all just y'all get through it you know and you applying for this and this is what amazed me one of the first things I when I heard about you, you had applied for over 160 jobs and of course that had to fuck with you you know applying for 160 jobs like this and just being denied denied you know denied so I also want to get on so was it through like just these denials of applying for 160 jobs that led you to smash the box and how would you say you know because now you said you're getting contracts how would you say you know things were compared to okay when you were a lesbian then androgynous and now you are a you are a male how would you say like reactions have been how because you know i hear things from different you know you know different people and their experiences how would you say would you say that it kind of now that you are a male that that has that gives you a leg up professionally or because you're still very out you know about your about you transitioning do you say do, would you say that's been a hindrance uh it's it's interesting if I was still identifying as female and lesbian, right? Um, I'm not gay. I do tend to do a lot of femme things. <laughs> That's cool too. I'm still exploring my gender. Right. I mean, hell, everything's fluid. You know, yeah, everything's fluid. fluid. We yeah. don't have to fit like, okay, like, yeah, you're a man now, but you don't, you know, you don't have to just be like, okay, I'm a man. I can't do this. You know, yeah. we've been so constructed by gender, you know, so much that even us all in the community have adopted a lot of these problematic heteronormative gender sure. way, you know, you know, rigid ways. So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely revel in what you do and what you love. Yeah. Uh, oh, I totally forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so like, it, it was a lot because I mean, I'm just, you know, intrigued because I mean, you applied for like 160 oh, jobs, yeah. denial after denial after denial. Yes. Would you say that that, okay, that led you to like, you know, like you being like, fuck it, I'm creating this business. And then in professionally, like now you said, you know, you're getting contracts. Thank goodness you're getting those contracts yeah. now. Yeah. Amen. You know, I don't want to say thank the Lord. And, you know, I try to be respectful of everybody, but thank the Lord. I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying that every damn day. And, you know, I'm definitely thankful, you know, that you, I'm glad that you have gotten these contracts. But would you say that now you being a male gives you a leg up come, uh, with these contracts and just your life now, you know, and, and from a professional sense compared to when you were living as a lesbian, when you were living as androgynous? I mean, if I was still a lesbian and living androgynous to this day without having ch changing my name or my gender, I would probably get more jobs. Um, that whole name on a resume and going through the process wow. and then also going into a, a, a new city where nobody knows you. Um, and then now they're trying to, you know, maybe mark the box of, oh, they're like Latina, right? Right. Um, that checks the diversity box. Um, what I did as soon as I got to Seattle was join a volunteer organization called Young Professionals in Transportation Seattle, and right. um, which I happen to be the chair of this nonprofit now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Y'all do great work with YPT, you know, and I'm yeah. glad that you are the chair. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was to build up my network so that I could get my name out there. And when I do apply, that people take me serious. Right. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I I built up my network to the point where now I'm getting contracts because of being part of YPT. 
um, it, it's crazy how I, I did a presentation on my story of the 160 jobs and applying for that and just being openly transgender man. And uh, this was at Hindsight 2019 and their equity American Planning Association, New York Diversity Subcommittee Conference. And because I did that uh, presentation, um, uh, somebody from NACTO, National Association for City Transportation Officials, right. follow me. And then I posted on Twitter that, hey, I'm looking for a job. Like, I'm, I need money. And being vocal about that and being on Twitter um, and just building that presence even there, um, I, he, he reached out to me. And since then, I've been doing small contracts with them. But also, I'm involved in the community uh, work here within transportation, being that it's it's bicycling, so active mobility, and then also equity within transportation. So how do we remove police enforcement within transportation and look at other uh, um, alternative alternative ways to enforcing transportation so that our streets are safer? And I believe we can do that through redesigning our streets and making them safer for people so that the community can take back the streets and not, you know, have cars. Right. Um, really, I mean, cars and the whole motor dom industry being that it's insurance, it is um, uh, the machismo that comes with owning a specific car or the idea that having a car is you've made it in this world and that you're better than everybody else and that you can drive as fast as you want. Um, uh, actually taking public transit is, is healthier, right? Um, for the earth because of your carbon footprint. It also is more efficient in moving traffic flow given that you can, well, now that we have COVID-19, those numbers have decreased, but understanding that you can fit more people on a bus versus a single occupancy vehicle, which is just one person per car. And also um, trucks and cars, uh, the EPA, Amer Environmental Protection Agency, or federal government noted that 30% of greenhouse gases are due because of trucks and, uh, and, and cars. But mind you, now they're doing advertisement for electric vehicles. And I'm like, no, no, no. The idea is that the streets need to not, the cars need to not kill anybody. They need to not right. kill anybody. And people aren't taking that serious. So it's a thing called Vision Zero. Yes. That cities have uh, uh, taken. Um, Sweden was the first country in 1997 to, um, to pass this type of initiative where you, your goal is to have zero deaths on the road, being that you're a pedestrian, bicyclist, or and or driver, right? And that in New York, I mean, they were one of the first cities to do it. I think in 2004, I'm like, why are we, why did it take so long? And that's because of the, the motor dom industry and them applying laws like jaywalking, where it makes it illegal to walk across a street and that you can die from it. Um, by a cop, you know, and, and this there is racism tied to cars. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm working um, in community spaces and with governments on how do we take, how do we remove police enforcement? Just remove it out of the equation because that's tied to racism. Uh, I, I'm done with racism. I just like. <laughs> That's my <laughs> we you know what most of us are. I mean, it's it's old. We shouldn't we shouldn't be going through this in 2020. I mean, now how now a lot of people I noticed in the industry, especially, were I mean, and this has been going on, you know, for a while, but it was something about I felt like about George the George Floyd situation that just set everyone off. For me, it was Trayvon Martin. Well, yeah, for you, Trayvon, but I noticed in the industry, I mean, and this yeah. was just across the board, 
now for, for a lot of people it was Trayvon Martin me I can even though I was a little kid when Rodney King happened I you know that that's still stuck in my head and even though I even though in the 90s I was still kind of this happy-go-lucky kid and I may not understood just everyone being so upset and then you know just seeing all these images and then just even in you know just even where I lived you know I would see you know things with these crooked cops and you know and the cops being abusive I would see these things so for me I would even see these things off camera or I I wouldn't need tv or the computer to see these things but for you know but what do you think personally even with white people what do you think it was about this about the George Floyd especially that just all of a sudden it was like everyone it was like almost like everyone got out of their trance do you think it was because of COVID that we've all been locked up in the house and we've had time to reflect I mean what do you think it was and I noticed this especially throughout the throughout the transportation industry especially oh well one thank you white people for finally understanding <laughs> that this is a fucking real thing that's happening <laughs> and black people are dying on our streets like that shit should not be happening um And I, it was essentially because everybody was forced to stay inside. Well, now that we have technology with the internet, people are going to be glued to their social media. And because they saw this and everybody saw it, it was the only time and the perfect fucking time to, I mean, and we haven't even shown all the shit that goes right? That doesn't go viral. And um, I think white people just had their guilty uh, conscience go off or whatever it is, uh, because they're okay with, you know, living in all white neighborhoods and, uh, you know, um, being the predominant race for film industry or TV commercials. I'm still sick of this shit. When I only see one black person in a fucking commercial, I'm like, no, you didn't do it. That even if you have no, no, this is not. (laughs) Or they (laughs) it's like only black um family, blah blah blah. And then they they market something. Um it blue I hate it. I really don't like it. I just don't understand it. It's like what's your message behind that? Who's paying you to create this market? And then also, who are the people that are making the decisions? Exactly, exactly. To do this. So honestly, I, as uh, doing communications in transportation, yes, that is one thing that it just, it, it lit a fire in everybody's house because to see somebody die like that, um, and I've had a friend get killed by uh, a cop too. Right. His yeah. name Bajan, and he was most recently killed. And um, they shot him in his car. Uh, the the cops didn't release the videotape, <laughs> and I don't think for like until a year or after, or something like that. Um, and uh, they're in jail now. I think they they got charged for something that was a high degree. Uh, but I can't imagine being part of a family where that happens to you. And then knowing that that's always going to be the case, that's a mentally fuck with your head. Well, that's for sure. I mean, I've, I've seen it myself. I've known people that were victims of the cops you know hell I've hell me I mean my god I've had my encounters with the police I mean just it's it's terrible and you know on that note you know yeah we've seen this heightened awareness with everyone but I think we all also can see it with at least with a, a lot of people it's dying down not for most of us but the and I'm putting this in quotes the hype or whatever is done down do you feel like personally for you that your contracts have increased because of what's happening? And do you worry about the state of your contracts when, when I get, when the decision maker, when these white folks don't really care about it no more? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a fad, right? Um, right, and I mean, of course we know it's not a fad, but for a lot of people it'd be like, okay, it's sad, on to the next thing. Yup, and I can already foresee that happening. Um, 
it's I don't know what's going to happen in the future when that is going to happen if it does happen right I it would, out in the universe it doesn't happen but yeah, just yeah. you know it's something that you know that I think we've all thought about like okay you know people now are requesting a lot of people to speak a lot of people you know are getting contracts a lot of people are you know just getting a lot of attention but it's like okay what happens you know because we've seen this and this has been just over time you know throughout the civil rights movement where even a lot of the you know our elders that were in it in the 60s and 70s said well opportunities dried up for me once they moved on to something else it's like okay what do we do? You know, we just, we, of course, we're going to keep it going. And I guess, what would you advise? I mean, because you, you have a successful business now, what would you say, because especially in the industry and even just, you know, throughout all, a lot of, a lot of the job sectors, many trans people still can't obtain employment and many of them are you know like you they're like fuck it they form their own they form their own business but it's still like you know it's still you know struggle there what would you say to that trans person that trans individual especially that's like that was like you they've applied for all these jobs they're out there and they're out about their transness they're not keeping it you know they're not keeping it hidden they keep getting rejected and they're just they're just at their wits end like they they're in a bad state like what do you recommend to the especially like anyone really in the community that's listening but especially our our trans and gender non-conforming individuals that are listening um those that you know can't pass those that are are very are out on social media like what would you say to them that are really scrambling and having a tough time the thing that everybody said to me don't give there's always a way. And that's how I've always thought of it. There's always a way. And you can't give up on yourself. You give up on yourself. You've lost such an amazing life. You would lose everything. But why? Why when, right. when you can do so much? I, I can't even, I didn't even imagine myself being uh, doing the work I'm doing now. Right. I thought I was just going to live in a, you know, a nice, comfy, suburban household with the, living that American dream that my parents right. said to me. And then I'm realizing the work I'm doing is actually helping to make change for the better. And you need to find something that is going to when you wake up that you're you're happy to wake up right that you're you're wanting to keep going but also one thing that i was stupid about that i really wish actually i wasn't stupid about it is it is always making sure to have a roof over your head and then food so whatever resources are out there being that it's mutual aid or anything like that make sure you have that set but also keep still kicking ass with what you're doing because people are going to give you the opportunity. It just might not come yet, right? So just don't give up on yourself and believe in yourself. And what would you say to those in the industry? Because I, I hear this a lot, especially with our trans and GNC uh, people where, you know, those that want to be in the industry like you and, you know, they've, they've gone through harassment, they've gone through problems. Um, I mean, I've heard this a lot. And so what would you recommend, I guess, what would you say to them, you know, as well, especially, and what do you, what would you like to say to the industry, to those, you know, because it's still a problem, like this bias, especially in the industry is still a big problem. I mean, of course, across the board, but especially in a, field, a conservative field like transportation. Yeah, I'm grateful to have moved to a city where I did my research, where I knew when I was going to get my top surgery, hormones, and then even my mental health. And I looked at the policies for where that's already covered. And policy does a lot because policy standardizes how uh, the society evolves itself. Um, 
they already know the basics for transgender people. They don't ask those stupid questions. questions. So if you live in a conservative space, I don't know. I've always, I had a friend tell me, well, how is it, how is change going to happen here in Richmond, Virginia, if you leave? And I, I still think about that. So you either have the opportunity to move to make those changes happen, um, still understanding that wherever you go, the grass is only greener when you make it greener. Oh, right? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you but, have to make that change yourself. Right. And you know, I you know, I, I definitely, you know, understand. That. And of course I understand many people believe, okay, you gotta make it better at home. But sometimes I think for your mental health for your emotional well-being. And of course, home will always be there. But, you know, if you need to get away for a while, hey, you know, so be it. I mean, I remember when I left Hampton Roads and, you know, it wasn't because it was bad, but it was because for me, it was a lot of personal reasons and it helped me not to be exactly there, you know, anymore. But of course it, you know, but so of course you got to do what you got to do for your emotional well-being, you know. Yeah, I, I would say if, you really trying to, you have to be street smart, you know, strategically. For sure. Where are there going to be a lot of transgender resources that you've heard good from, that you know you can make it uh, if you move to that place? Right. 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 So, you know, man, it is always a pleasure and I would love to have you back on to continue this. Yeah. I could talk to you just all night, like, you know, oh, just chopping it up. Uh, but I know you are a busy man and you- I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even go over all the stuff I'm doing. I just, <laughs> right. Like, but yeah, you know what, if you don't mind, you know, I want to, let's, I really want to talk about this. Like, so let, let everybody know more about everything you're doing and y'all, they're going to be, you know, the links to his business, the links to everything he's doing you know social media handles all that will be in the show notes but yeah let us really know more about you know your inspiration you know behind you know with smash the box and just you know what we can expect next yeah so i have a couple projects on my plate right now one being with nacto and uh doing research on looking at the different types of street designs that they're using in response to covid19 I'm also doing an anti-gerrymandering map because I have uh, about 12 to 13 years of experience building maps, right? Going back all the way to undergrad when I was getting my uh, bachelor's in science and geography from Virginia Commonwealth University. So I build online maps um, and I'm making sure that is inclusive, including indigenous voices when redrawing lines for uh, congressional and legislative lines. Um, I'm also looking at doing two projects, which includes how to remove police enforcement within transportation for uh, a group in Seattle called Seattle Neighborhood Greenways, and then also um, a greater, uh, uh, it involves um, the city of Redmond, but not the city of Redmond, the government, but the, <laughs> the geographic area itself. I'm doing that. I was just on a jury board for a Seattle Queer Film Festival because oh. let me tell you that uh, when you're doing really deep work like this and you need to just like, you need to queer it up, that's a great thing to do. So I'm uh, looking at queer film festivals all throughout the world. They're there and- Yes. Amazing work. Um, I have another project I'm working on where I'm gonna buy a drone and I'm gonna have the drone a uh, use AI to track me so it can show uh, and do like a mini documentary or just like short film of what it's what it looks like to bike in Seattle itself that is cool yeah and then I'm the YPT Young Professionals in Transportation International Director of Communications uh, which I've helped grow the email listserv from 700 to 5,000 um, and I've redesigned the website and I've built up, I'm starting to build up my network internationally. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to be on the, on the board next year, but I am going to be on the board for Young Professionals in Transportation Seattle um, this coming year. 
great. I'll say, we need you, you know, you're needed, you're needed. And, you know, and how can other, you know, especially those in the community that, you know, how he, I guess you'll, you can put a link up on, you know, how they can apply because, you know, I, it was someone else I recently spoke with, um, they want to be more in the industry, but they're like, you know, they're, they're, well, they're, you know, and I know you really can't speak on this experience, uh, but she is a trans woman. And so she's like, I don't think I'll be accepted. I'm telling her, go ahead and apply, you know, anyway. So what do you say to people? Because they've seen just all this bias in such a conservative field, especially. And yeah. I, now I know we can all apply this to, you know, pretty much a lot of the job markets, but, you know, but especially a field like this, what would you say? Like, okay, we need more leadership, uh, queer leadership in the industry. How would, you know, would you just say, hey, apply? Or what would you say have been your challenges? Uh, well, there are a lot of challenges, but what I can say, you know, looking back at my experience is to network. It does a lot for you when you're trying to find a job. Um, you know, that saying of it's all about who you know. Oh, but for sure. For this one, it really is. Since yeah, for sure. You have to trust the people and actually not test them, but just get a vibe and a feeling for them. Not have to like understand their astrological charts or anything but just understand are they safe do you feel safe around them and being open about yourself uh, those are the spaces that you're going to thrive the most so if you can find um, any type of lgbtq chapter or subcommittee within your professional organi organizational field which for mine is um, one of them is the american planning association and then um, Young Professionals in Transportation um, International, and then also the Association of Pedestrian and Bicycle Professionals. So there's always like a diversity committee or something like that within these professional organizations. So if you can start networking there, um, one, have make sure that you believe in yourself, right? And you believe in your work and that you're worth it. Uh, once you have that, you have the shine, uh, which I always say to keep shining bright. Um, that's that's a glow. That you're, that's your soul glowing essentially. Um, once people see that, that's when they'll they'll want to work with you. Wonderful, man! That is incredible advice, and I hope all of y'all really listen to that. You know, yes, is someone he has defied many odds. Um, we've lost so many people in our community, you know, not even due to just, you know, COVID or HIV AIDS or cancer, but just due to suicide. And so I'm so glad, brother, that you've turned your life around, that you were like, you know, you that you found that point where you're like, okay, I got to turn it around. You kept fighting. You kept, you know, you just kept going, you know, you just kept going. You, nothing was off limits for you. You're like, okay, instead of just sinking more into the, you know, the tar pits with these 160 jobs that you applied for, you just kept going. And then you form smashed a box out of it. You are in an industry that is known to be very conservative, but man, you are owning the space. You're like, okay. I I'm a Latinx trans male. I am here. I am just as much invested in the neighborhood as you are. You know, um, no, this is what we need to do with our transit. This is what we need to you know, plan for our neighborhoods. You know, we are going to keep forming our neighborhoods. You have owned your power and you are a witness. We are witnessing you walking in your power y'all you're laughing but it is true once you walk in your power nobody can take that away no one can take your power away it's like you have the power each one of us has the power even during this crazy ass pandemic we have the power so man i want to thank you again for being on this show i can't wait to release it i can't wait for everyone to hear it you will find his information in the show notes and again everybody continue to just own who you are you know i know it's hard with all this bias this discrimination and we have to continue to care even when the mainstream stops because after a while, the camera's not going to be on all of this no more. After a while, Black Lives Matter is going to be something that's just going to be discussed, you know, within our communities. 
you know, even a lot of things going on with the Latinx community, oh, it, it's going to be, you know, not discussed in the mainstream. So we have to continue everybody to care these LGBTQIA plus issues. It's going to come a time still where it's not going to be the hot thing. Instead of us being under this bright fluorescent rainbow, it's almost going to be almost black and white. So it's like we have to continue to care when the mainstream doesn't. We have to continue to, you know, stop with a lot of our inner letter drama because after a while, you know, we a lot of people are trying so hard to impress the straights. They're trying so hard to live this heteronormativity, but we can't. So the L's and the G's, you got to stop beefing with the T's and the Q's and the <laughs> B's. You know, we got to just start showing more respect to each other. You know, we can't forget about our I's and our A's and the, you know, and the Q Q's. So we just can't keep. We can't. You know, we can't leave anybody out so brother i want to thank you again i would love to have you back on very soon you yeah, know sure. keep us all posted and thanks again y'all everybody out there tonight be good to each other be good to yourselves and take it easy <laughs>